Father, we come before you and, um, with a grateful heart for giving us your word and those faithful men who pinned it down over centuries and those who have kept it pure to the day that we walk this day. Father, help us. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have eyes to see. Father, remove those who would have scales over their eyes. And Father, let us bow before your holy book. Father, may your spirit strengthen each of us. Father, may we stand in awe at the privilege of being just children of the Most High God. And yet, Father, the privilege of ministering, of serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you so much, my King, for the privilege that you've given me the time and the privilege of being in your book. And Father, I pray that this day that my brothers and sisters will be encouraged as we study looking into the mind of the God of creation. To your praise and glory. Amen. Chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. We are looking at Paul's perspective on ministry. And I shared with you as we stepped into this text a number of weeks ago that there is a joy and a sorrow in ministry. And I can't even begin to express to you to the degree that they exist. You can have a joy that absolutely overwhelms you and you can have a sorrow that can almost paralyze you. And that's what it means to be a minister. That's what it means to be a child of God. A child of God is a minister. We have bought the hook, line, and sinker that says, you know, you get enough people in church, you can hire a bunch of ministers. Well, in some cases, I believe that's true because the rest of the congregation is probably not saved and you don't want them serving anyway. In some cases, Christians are lazy. They don't do what God has called them to. Everything else is more important to them than serving. All right. And, and we can make all the excuses in the world. All right. And you know what? I don't worry about that because you can each of us will stand before the throne of Jesus Christ and give an account for what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. Or you can just say, I didn't do nothing. He gave it to the servant. He buried the talents and said, I don't want to mess with this. Go ahead. You tell him. I don't have a problem with that. And I, I will tell you this. Don't try to blame me. Okay. Adam tried to blame Eve. Eve tried to blame the snake. And we all know what that got him. Okay. So uh, it just don't work. His perspective is, is that, and I think that we miss that today is, do we understand the privilege? Do we? Because we are working with him in verse 1. It says, working together with him. And it comes out of chapter 5. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as through though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We have an ambassadorship that comes from God presented to each and every Christian. So we work with him. But he also says, in light of that privilege, we must grasp the passion that the day of salvation is now. Theologians call it the age of grace. I don't care what you call it. The day of salvation is now. And, and I think there's times that we get frustrated or sidetracked or uh, distracted. Whatever cute word you want to use to say I'm busy. When the eternal destiny of souls are standing before you. And he says there, I will help you. You call upon me, I will help you. And yet, I know we don't. Because if you think about it, the single most powerful thing that you and I have is prayer. And yet, think about how easy it is for you and I not to do it. And you never thought about prayer? How involved is that? It's kind of involved, right? I mean, you have to what? What do you got to do to pray? Set your heart to the things above. I mean, yeah, Lord. I mean, it's not complicated. And yet, think about how easy it is. I know that none of you have ever done this. I'm a guilty of this. Sometimes be in prayer and all of a sudden think that I need an oil change in my truck. I'm hanging out in the heavenlies, talking to the creator of existence, thinking that I need to get the oil changed in my truck. And you keep thinking, well, where did that come from? Okay, but that's just the things that distract us. And it happens all of the time. The day of salvation is now. One of the things that I share with you is, and I watched it because being that we are Baptist, uh, when I came to salvation, I started attending a Baptist church. And the big thing was to get converts. You need to get as many people as you can to walk the aisle, get baptized, say a prayer. And I kept watching that thinking, it, it don't look like it's working. <laughs> so, I mean, you got as many going out the back door as you got coming in the front door. And it just didn't seem right to me. Then it dawned on me they were having all these classes on evangelism and all the rest of it on how to share your faith and da-da-da-da, you name it, they got it, had it all figured out. And it dawned on me, if you're not willing to pray for that person, you'll never reach him for Christ. And... That has been my, my, my thinking and my, my process all along ever since then. And you know what? I still have a long list of people that I've been praying for their salvation for decades. And they still ain't saved. But they're still alive. So there's still hope. The day of salvation is today. Because he wants to make sure that we don't do anything to give an offense. All right. I don't want anybody. Listen, if you stand in ministry and you're faithful. People will attack you. They want to destroy your integrity. And you know what? Don't be surprised if they just make up stuff. They did for Jesus. They did it for Paul. So you should be immune to it? I think not. But the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthians, there's nothing there. My ministry is intact. But they will attack my integrity. Because see, if I can soil the integrity, then you have to discount his teaching. You have to discount his life. And now if in, and you see this today, you will get somebody who comes into church. They may be active in the church. And all of a sudden, the preacher will say something that offends them. Okay, now, instead of going to the preacher and saying, what you said to me offended me based on this biblical explanation. What do they do? 
They gather allies. Let me just take you over to the side and whisper in your ear something. Did I think he's got something hidden? I've heard people tell me that. Um, they don't tell me that. Okay? It ends up coming back around. When you've been in the community as long as I've been, uh, you're going to hear it. I mean, I hear people saying, is he still there? Uh, I remember a guy one time looked me right in the eye, shaking his finger. I always love that when they do this. One of these days, they don't know how lucky they are that I'm saved. <laughs> but anyway, I remember him sitting there doing this. I'll wait you out. I don't have any idea where he's at. <laughs> but he didn't wait me out. They're going to do it. And you know what he did? He gathered allies. There was one time, a stretch of time in, in church when uh, uh, we had a really large Sunday school classes, several Sunday school classes. And they had moved through those Sunday school classes and were trying to get the people not to go upstairs and worship because there wouldn't be no offering and there's no way they could keep me around. They do that. They did it to the Apostle Paul. Let's make accusations. Why? There's nothing there. But let's, let's do it. But see, that's why he says, don't give any cause for the offense in anything. But then he moves into this and he says, because of this passion that I have, that I will not have my integrity tarnished. He says, I understand that I have this power. Three, there is no offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Paul says, my conscience is clear before God. You grab that for a second. Because everybody seems to think they know what the other person's thinking. You ever notice that? I think this was his intentions. And we have a whole political system now that the man or woman will make a statement and then all the experts come out and tell me what they said. But what they meant by it was, and all of a sudden they're going, no. And, and, I, and I think at times that may be a detriment to me because I say what I mean. You don't have to read into it. I read the Apostle Paul's and it's very clear what he says. All right. And yet we, well, I'm just not really sure that even seminaries are starting to buy in that Paul has added to what God really wanted. And they're starting to teach that. That's amazing. I've never struggled with anything the Apostle Paul wrote. It's very simple to me. But he said, and he breaks it down because he says, I want you to understand we are servants of God in much endurance. And that's what we're doing. In much endurance. Okay, then you look at it, you see that he splits it up into here's what the hostile world brings to me and here's what the holiness of God brings to me. Okay, whether it's the hostility of the world or whether it is the holiness of God, I do it with much endurance. And we've looked at that, the power. You know, I look at this and I think about the Apostle Paul's life and I can summarize it in much enduring. I mean, you think about what he endured for the sake of the gospel. You ever thought about this? Do you realize what the Apostle Paul suffered, whether it be his obedience to the holiness of God or the afflictions that come from the hostility of the world was for you, was for me? Why? So that his ministry would not be discredited? He endured with much, much endurance. So you have this spiritual commitment. All right. My question is this to you. What is your level of spiritual commitment? Okay. You don't need to go ask your spouse, your coworker, your neighbor or anything at. You can do it yourself. What is your level of spiritual commitment? 
Because your level of spiritual commitment is directly related to your obedience. Your obedience and spiritual commitment is directly related to your effectiveness and or lack of. It's that simple. I wish I wish it was more complicated. I was went to the bookstore yesterday and I was looking through all of these things on spiritual life and spiritual living. And there's books after books after books after books on how to spiritually live. And I kept thinking, dude, I, there's no reason. I know I'm not published. I'm, I, I can't even get one page on spiritual living. It's easy. What's your level of commitment? And to that is your level of obedience. To that will be your level of success. Your usefulness. So if you don't feel like you're being used by God. Check out your obedience. If your obedience seems a little bit on the crooked, shaky side. No problem. What is your level of? Commitment. Now, let's be realistic. Would you classify the Apostle Paul as successful? You afraid to answer that? What? <laughs> I am fruit of the Apostle Paul. Okay? But I can also look at Paul's life. Was he committed? Okay? What about his obedience? I have to go to Jerusalem even though I'm going to go in chains. His effectiveness? Not so bad. Not so bad. Paul was so powerful. Remember what we looked at last night? With the weapons of righteousness. In the right and the left hand. So he fought all the time, front, back, left, right, up, down. And he fought what we looked at last week, strongholds and speculations. Chapter 10 of this book. Verses 3 and following. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. Okay? Then he describes the fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to what? Obedience of Christ. This is what Christ wants. Why? I don't want to be discredited in my ministry. This is what Christ wants. I want to be effective. I want to be used up. I want to be the proverbial drink offering poured out on the altar, as Paul said. Run the race. Fight the fight. Strongholds and speculations. These are man's ideas, man's philosophies, man's understandings, man's science, man's wisdom, his rationale. And you know what? Paul was passionate and unrelenting. And you know what? Now go back to your text. He's, when you stand there with that commitment, then you get to deal with with one of the greatest paradoxes that ever existed in all of creation. And that's what we have in verses 8 to 10. Your ministry will be by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold yet alive, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Paul was loved by those who believed. Paul was hated. Those who were hiding in their fortresses of speculations and their quote-unquote lofty thoughts. Faithful ministry. Faithful service. Those who are faithful. Okay, with much enduring, 
Know this, that the outcome will have opposite extremes. Joy beyond your comprehensions, sorrow beyond your greatest despair. The more faith you have, the more godliness you have, the more passionate you are, the more you will confront the strongholds of human ideas. You don't think so? Go look at the Bible's teaching on the role of the man and the woman. And you tell me right now, that won't stir up a hornet's nest anywhere you go. And I don't even care about the church. Just throw it out there. And we have been convinced now by science, because they're experts, that God created through evolution. Really? Well, but the experts say, you know, I know a whole bunch of experts. And you know what? All they are is said experts. And I'll be honest with you, I have yet to run into an expert that I'm impressed by. And it's not that I'm that great of a person, but sometimes I remember a guy one time who worked for Martin Marietta and, and they didn't like this guy out. He was a mathematician and I had to do some work for him on. I was a, a tech. And so I did. He thought it up an engineer. He made it up and then I had to try to make it fit. OK, and it was just. Just annoying. Anyway. One night, I get a call from this guy. Okay, this mathematician. I mean, they just lock him in a room. And they didn't even let him have no windows. And he just sat in there and thought. Okay, and I mean, you'd go in and he'd have stuff written on these grease boards. And you're like, oh, geez. Anyway, but, you know, and then I'd he'd take these papers over to the engineer. The engineer said, oh, yeah, this will work this way. And then they said, now go build one. All right, all right. <laughs> Let's see if this works. He calls me one night. He was out on a date, which still to this day scares me. I thought, what would they talk about? You know, the gravitational pull of the solar system that is next to ours. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, and he said he had a flat tire. Could I come and get him? And I said, sure. So, And I thought, why are they letting him out driving? But anyway, um, well, you had to know the guy because this is one of them people who was just circling the planet. I mean, he had never landed, couldn't. Okay. Anyway, so I go find him out on uh, off of Wadsworth, and sure enough, he's got a flat tire. And I said, "Why didn't you change the spare?" And he said, "What spare?" So I open up the trunk, show him this little tires back there, and pull out the jack and all the rest of it. And he was stunned. He says, "You're telling me that they have an extra tire and all the tools needed to fix that tire?" So experts don't impress me. <laughs> I don't know what age I learned to change a tire, but it was before I was even allowed to drive. So I wasn't that. So experts come up to me and I was like, this guy knows the gravitational pull of individual planets and stars and things that you can see. They were working on a thing that at that time, um, you know, it as GPS. They called it Navstar when I was listening to it. And it was a military targeting system. And you would have stationary satellites that anywhere on the planet, you could take an AWACS and bounce it off of that and get military movement or something. I don't know. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And now here, I got a GPS on my motorcycle. All right. <laughs> Happy for you. Uh, a friend of mine calls his GPS Jezebel. And, uh, and I'm like, uh -huh. it's got this woman's voice. And you're like. She's leading me astray. But <laughs> again, experts. The people who believe and receive the word of truth. They love you. Think about it. Church in Ephesus, when Paul said, I was going and I'll probably never see you again. They wept on the back of his neck as they kissed him goodbye. That's pretty serious if you think about it. Why? Because they believed. And yet, while some will be kissing you, others will be plotting to kill you. 
See, that is what the paradox of ministry is. That's what this is in 8 through 10. It's just a series of contrasts that kind of goes with the job. I remember young in my ministry, it, it used to hurt like, I, I, I can't understand it. The things that I was called and the things that I was accused of uh, back in my before Christ days, uh, I was never treated the way, quote unquote, some Christians treated me. And I was stunned. I've gotten over it. <laughs> I'm at a point now that I've got enough miles that it's expected. I'm actually more shocked when they like me. You're like, what? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I must have done it wrong. It goes with the witness. It goes that when you bring light into darkness... Let me. I, the thing that I can tell you about the ministry is that it is not routine. The routine is, it's still the same message. But you don't really know what the response is going to be. And if you focus on what the response is going to be, you're in serious trouble. You focus on what is the message. When the spiritually faithful stems forth, walks the walk, talks the talk, as Dr. Olford used to tell me, he fleshes it out. It is seen. You will have some will think you're a hero. Or some will absolutely despise you. Some will think you're the greatest friend they've ever had. Some will think you're an enemy. Some will be truly encouraged by you. Some will only be angry with you. All out of the same message. All out of the same life. All out of the same person. You will receive, as he says here in verse 8, glory and dishonor. To some, it is an honor. It's it's like when I I think about that little bitty Bible at $15,000. And I think what an honor it is for me to have. I don't know how many Bibles I have. I don't know. I remember I spent uh, $195 for an interlineal. I know the guy was talking about it. Um, Yeah, I bet I'd like for you guys to buy a bunch of those too, especially if I had stock in them. Okay, they are good. Don't get me wrong. But you need to understand, he left out a lot of things about interlineal. It is word for word translation. So it doesn't have the flow of the English language. And you just got these words stuck in there. And there's times you read and go, I don't have any idea what this guy's got some kind of seizure going on. Because they're translating it word for word. And that's fine. I mean, if you don't mind going, what? I mean, any of you who took a close look at some of the texts you looked at, they have some odd spelling. Okay, and, you know, these and thousands and those I can handle. But, you know, there's other things you learn. Why don't they use E's and S's? I don't understand why they don't use E's and S's. They seem so simple. I mean, I know they have them. When I think about the privilege of just looking at his word, And there are those who will step forward and understand that it is honor to be taught his word. First time I preached in Russia, I preached for two and a half hours and it was about almost another two and a half hours to answer questions. Why? Because they understand the honor and the privilege it is to just have that word. And they were honored to have you. It's, it's weird. It's creepy to me because they treated me like royalty when I'm there. Although they have the common cup for communion and I got to go first and I was really thankful. Because <laughs> I kept thinking, I don't want to do this at the end of the line. <laughs> this, I've seen your teeth. <laughs> that scares me. <laughs> it could be contagious. Okay, but I mean, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. But these people were they here you are. You have come all the way over here for them to give them the word. That's amazing. We don't do that. I remember it's been a number of years ago, probably almost 20 years ago. 
Yeah, 20, probably a little longer than that. 22 years ago. Dr. John MacArthur came and spoke at Riverside Baptist Church. Was there for three nights. And uh, our pastor at this church at that time, I was associate pastor. Me and him went up every night. And uh, I doubt if there was... Probably Wednesday night was the biggest crowd, and it might have been 150. Which was really kind of cool for me, because I could spend time talking afterwards and, and, you know, asking questions and this, that, and the other. Uh, But there wasn't, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Riverside. It's a pretty good-sized facility. And, And, you know, here's Dr. MacArthur probably... In the last two centuries, the greatest expositor, maybe. I would almost argue that, that, you know, this guy was was pretty good. And um, the following week, this may go over some of your head because I don't know if you remember Green Acres, the TV show. Okay, if you don't remember that show, I know then you were born. Um, Do you remember Ebb? He came in to do his stuff, okay? And they had overflow viewing in the outbuildings. They were running about 20,000 people per ebb show. Something's wrong with that. Now, I nothing personal. I didn't go see ebb. I've seen him on TV. But anyway, um, there are some who receive honor and some who receive dishonor. See, listen, you can't expect all men to speak well of you if you are faithful to God. You hear what I said? You can't expect people, all people to speak well of you if you are faithful to God Um, because see he takes that even to glory and dishonor but then he moves it to evil report and good report that's what happened to the apostle Paul some spoke of Paul with amazement think about the church that he's writing this be his fourth letter actually to this church in that church, that he was the chief man who architect, you know? That church is there because the Apostle Paul walked into that city. And yet, they're divided. It's, it's, it's what I have watched in the body of Christ, is that when you get these people that you offend by standing firm in your faith and never compromising... And they come against you, they will get allies. And anybody who spent some time with you and has walked with you, they will stay on your side. But if you have the new people, they can be swayed by any accusation. That was what was happening in the Corinthian church. You know what? You speak truth and some will lie about you really amazing if you think there's evil report there's good report that's the paradox there are some people who are going to say did you hear the power that man preached with at the same time you're gonna have somebody i just didn't like the way he said it i remember fighting that battle for years and years and years in my ministry first sermon i ever preached First one, I was asked to preach. Our pastor had left. They said, what are you studying? I told them what I was studying. They said, will you do us a favor? Will you preach that book until we get a pastor? All right. First sermon. I have never been to seminary. I've never, I don't understand what preaching is. I'm just going to get up and tell you what I found. And that's what I did. I got done with the sermon. I thought, well, you know what I was about? I started to walk down the aisle to the back door. Guy stepped out in the hall, stuck his finger. I love that. Stuck his finger right in my face and cussed me. 
And you're sitting there going, boy, I'm glad I've been called to this. You know, did I do that bad a job? But see, you're, I'm not stupid enough to ask that question. Because if you ask it, you're going to get a yes every time you ask it. And I sat there and I thought, well, this is nuts. They will slander because they want to destroy the work. If the man is being empowered by God in the passion of God, knowing his privilege before a holy God, and he's with enduring much, they have to try to destroy the work. And they'll do it any way they can. You know what? Why do they not celebrate Paul's work of service in their lives? Have you ever thought about that? That is amazing to me. I, I just don't understand that. They will assault your character. Why? They want to destroy the effectiveness of the faithful minister. This is the very war that's going on in the Corinthian church. It's the very war that's going on in the church today. You'll be loved by many. You'll be hated by many. And it all come out of the same church. I have in this church, and in, you know, as long as I've been in this church, I've been in this church for 20, about 26 years, I think. I've been the senior pastor for 18. I have seen more people come through this church and leave hating me than I've ever seen come and stay. Because there's a war. Paul told a young Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2. 24-26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. And then look at what he says. With gentleness correcting those in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Those who are in opposition to you, young Timothy, will be doing it because of a lack of knowledge of truth. Okay. If you have a lack of knowledge of truth. Okay. Do you understand what verse 26 says? They may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Having been held captive by him to what? To do whose will? Satan's will. Where at? Do you realize that in a congregation, maybe even in this group, there are people here who have a lack of knowledge of truth that are there specifically to do the will. Can you say that? They're doing the will of who? Who signed up for that? But remember, if we're fighting against fortresses of what? Speculation. And lofty thinking that have a lack of understanding of truth. And if you have a lack of understanding of truth, who's got you captive? Satan. For what? You know what? I, I tell people this and I'll repeat it again today. If you disagree with what I have said, let's talk about it. But bring scripture. Because I know I will offend you if I start dealing with your speculations and your lofty thoughts. Okay? I've already been down that road. I have fought that battle. I know how it works. I've seen it over and over and over again. Everybody says, yes, 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 yes. And they just get mad at me and leave. And then they want to run into everybody they can find at a church and explain to them. That I'm a deceiver. <laughs> I'm evil. <laughs> and I'm this and I'm that. Why? Well, why didn't they come tell me? 
Listen, if I run into somebody who's a deceiver, I'm going to tell you you're a deceiver because it's my responsibility to try to get you out of the gates of hell. Okay, if I'm a deceiver, then you guys need a responsibility to tell me because I don't want to go to hell. This isn't complicated stuff, people. It is a paradox. Those who are doing the will of Satan are going to try to do whatever they can do to destroy one who proclaims truth. And it is in any congregation. The, the life of the one who is a force of God will have an impact. Remember what I said. What's your level of commitment? will show the degree of your obedience and your degree of obedience will show your effectiveness. Or you can put in front of all of those, lack, (laughs) and you'll see how that all works. Because those who are a force because of their commitment, their obedience, and their impact, their effectiveness, will be a confronter. And they will divide the sinners from the saints. I was sharing in Sunday school this morning that one of the gifts that God gave me made me the point of the spear. And I don't like that. But I can't help it. One who walks in truth incarnate, one who is faithful, will have a polarized response. Be most beloved and be most despised. But if you'll also look, Back to your text. Evil report, good report. And yet, as deceivers, and yet true. Can you imagine? I, I, I just really struggle with someone accusing the Apostle Paul of being a deceiver. Paul was a deceiver. But they believe that all the heartache and the suffering and the imprisonments and the beatings and the stonings and all the rest of these things that he endured was proof that God was mad at him and he wasn't God's. But Paul was in good uh, stead. In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 12, there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning Jesus. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. The Son of God leading people astray. And you guys wonder why I'm not into experts. Because the religious experts were convinced that he did all of his power by the power of Satan. All I can say is brilliant. Deceivers yet true. The Apostle Paul is accused of being an imposter. Apostle, imposter. <laughs> I talk for a living. They accused him of being a false apostle. Why? Satan wants to destroy the reputation of anyone who stands on truth. You find somebody who is committed, obedient, and effective. And I'll show you a target. I guarantee it. I remember young in my faith, and and we probably still do it today, is that when a person first comes to salvation, we want everybody to pray for him or her, right? Because it's just a new infant in Christ, and, and we need to protect it with a hedge of prayer and everything and angels, and we gotta watch it. You know what? When a person is truly saved, Satan can't touch it. That's God's possession. The ones you need to be praying more fervently for is those men who stand up front, unwavering, standing on truth and preaching it in the power of the Spirit. Because those are the ones who are Satan's sights are set upon because he wants to cause them to be discredited. Even today you see it. I mean, I keep thinking today, I was reading a seminary article, I won't tell you the seminary, that they were believing that Paul probably added about 65% 
more teaching than Jesus actually gave us. And I was really thinking that it was God breathed. Huh. So now all of a sudden the experts have become the editor of Scripture. Scholars will call the true men of God liars because they hate truth. They hate truth. Yet those who love him know that it's true. They know that he stands in truth. Back to our text, it says, this is a strange view, but it says, yet well-known and unknown. You see, when I think about the Apostle Paul, at one point in his life, he had nobody. He was a Pharisee, originally. And he would have been well-known. The Pharisees were considered... uh, Just this side of deity. They were the greatest honored men. They knew the law. They could not be swayed. They knew what the Bible said. They were protectors of God's word. Apostle Paul was studying under one of the greatest teachers that Judaism had ever produced. He was an elite crowd. He was a zealot. He was trained. He was blameless. He was the quote-unquote rising star of the Pharisaical order. He was respected. He was honored. He was given the highest seats, the nicest places, and everyone wanted to be around him. And yet, there were many who hated him. And there were a lot more who hated him when he came to truth. And you know what's amazing is the Christians are scared to death of him. I would have been. He was getting Christians killed. He was out arresting Christians so they could be tried for blasphemy. And yet what happened? He moved from those who knew him well, loved and adored him, to now they hate and despise him, and now he is known by those who had never known him. At a time, he was unknown to Christians. And yet he became the leader among the Christians. As the persecution grew, He became a Christian and there was this huge reverse change of direction. He was known now where he had been unknown. And when he had been known into the Pharisaical order, he was now unknown. He was ignored by those who had never heard of him. I think about him speaking in Athens. And yet others, like the jailer at the Philippians, (laughs) he knew him, right? You know what? The Philippians considered the Apostle Paul the most important person who had ever lived because he had brought them truth. Have you ever thought of that? The person who brings you truth, where are they on your concern mode? To some, you're nobody. To others, you are everything. That's what a minister is. How is this? The world doesn't know who the faithful ones are. How is that? Look around us. What do we hang stardom on? I mean, what is that lady's name? Kardashian. She has a dead father lawyer. And now she got a TV show? i never seen it. And they said, well, it's just about her and her family. And that's a TV show? And they think I'm stupid? 
but we are known. And yet to some we are unknown. And yet to others we are well known. Back to verse 9. Dying yet behold, we live. You know, one of the things that is amazing about the Apostle Paul, and, and I can say this with a great certainty, he was always right on the edge of death. I can honestly say that my commitment to the faith is not that way yet. That I'm always on the edge of death. Now, I had a lot of people got freaked out when I was flying back and forth to Russia. What if the plane crashes? God's going to blame the pilot. No. <laughs> I, I remember I, there was a, a NASA guy that I was flying back with. He had been over there doing something with the Russian cosmonauts. And we got set by the wing tank, or the wing door. You know, it's got the great big huge door. Had a lot of leg room. That's, yeah, I'll take that one. Okay, and so we opened it up. And he's sitting there and he says, you know, if we go down, we can just push this wing open or this door open. He says, we can get out and stand on the wing. I said, I ain't getting out. And he said, what? I said, I ain't getting out. And he says, well, if we open the door, we can. I said, I ain't getting out. And he said, why ain't you getting out? I said, we're flying over the Arctic Circle. Why would I get out? <laughs> I ain't going out there and freeze to death. I'll stay in here and burn up. I ain't going out there. <laughs> Always on the edge of death. The Apostle Paul in this letter, chapter 1, verses 8 and following, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our afflictions, which came to us in Asia, which were burdened, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from the peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. Chapter 4, he brings it up again in verses 11 and 12. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. See, he understands it. And here's the amazing thing as I read the Apostle Paul and about the things that he endured. Uh, it was a daily thing. It wasn't like he had stretches where everything was happy and blessings and we're having fun and I'm going to have a church growth movement and I'll write a book on how to grow the church. Okay, get my own TV show and, you know, get my radio ministry up and maybe I can even get published. They didn't do that. He's a, any day they could take my life. Any moment they could take my life. He was always on that edge. He was always on the brink of any time he wanted to die. Listen, his enemies wanted him dead. They wanted him destroyed. If we can kill him, we destroy the ministry. If you kill the shepherd, what happens to the flock? And yet I keep reading about the Apostle Paul. And it's like he always got away. I mean, you think about it, the earthquake in the Philippian jail. Bust open all the doors, stocks bust open. And what does he do? He just sits there. Dude, I'd have been so how far outside of Philippi that they'd still be trying to figure out what that was. But he's still sitting there in the Philippian jail. He comes in and says, oh my God, they're going to kill me. The prisoners have escaped. And Paul is sitting there going, no, nah, we're still here. And the jailer says, well, what's the matter with you people? But you know what? The man came to salvation. I mean, he was stoned and left for dead. Think about that. And they threw him out on a pile of dung, a manure pile. He comes to, regains consciousness. What does he do? Goes right back in there. That would have freaked me out. Him all covered in manure and bloody and thinking, well, I thought he was dead. <laughs> How many times did they think they had him when he was in Jerusalem? When he went down to Caesarea as a prisoner of the Romans. And he looked at being taken prisoner by the Romans, imprisoned there in Herod's palace. And you know what his comment was? Maybe I can preach the gospel to Caesar. 
Well, let it go over like a lead balloon. Caesar means he thinks he's God. You'll have to tell him you're not. But Paul, your words are not encouraging. And you know what? He did go to Rome. And he did preach to the Praetorium Guard, which is Caesar's personal bodyguard. And you know what is amazing about it? They had to be chained to that poor bugger. And they did it in 12-hour shifts. And you're chained there listening to this man. He's writing a few letters and telling you about the deity of Jesus Christ, how he was raised from the dead, and how you're separated from him. And I have the ministry of reconciliation. And you can't get away from me. So na 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 You might as well repent and get saved because you're going to have to endure this. Now you think about it. Try to roll that in an American church. You're going to get 12 hours of preaching. I better bring chains. As the force against the Apostle Paul increased, you know what is amazing? If you just go and look at it, it just made him stronger. That's what trouble does to the minister of God. Death was his constant stalker. And yet, death was unsuccessful. Over and over. See, until God says, come home, you're immortal, you're invincible, you can't stop you. You cannot die one second before God says, time's up. And on one hand, he was dying daily, and yet on the other one, he was absolutely alive. And he was living life abundantly. He had purpose in his life. He was not distracted by the trivial things that you and I would call temporals. He wasn't worried about it. He didn't care whether he had much. He didn't care whether he had little. He said, I have learned to be content in all things. When you're content in all things, how abundant is your life? And yet, this abundant life was laying right next to death. Paul lived among those who loved him. Paul lived among those who wept on the back of his neck and they kissed him goodbye. And those who hated him and wanted him death. And that is the division that truth brings. Then he makes this statement. Punished yet not put to death. Okay, he kind of expands on the idea. And this is the one I kind of mentioned in Sunday school this morning because I kept thinking, you know, I, there's times that I would rather give up the punishment and let's just go straight for the death. You can see this. It's, it's explained quite a bit more in chapter 11 of this letter, beginning in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm insane. I more, far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and the night I spent in the deep. I have been in frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my countrymen and dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me. Of the concern for all of the churches. His punishment was relentless. I mean, how many times was he in jail? And you understand that being put in jail in his age is completely different than being put in jail in our age. Even with all of that is true, this ongoing pressure this relentless pressure upon him even wanting to take his life and yet never being put to death even at the end he says no one stood with me at my trial the lord was there all of this brothers and sisters is as much enduring he delivered me because the lord was there out of the lion's mouth 
The Apostle Paul understood, I'm invincible as long as the God of creation wants me alive and I'm effective for what he is wanting done. And you know what? I can look back at this man's life and say, the world did all it could to punish him. But with much endurance, he pressed on. They punished him, but they could never kill him because he was in the hands of God. Punishment made him stronger. Remember, the testing of our faith produces the perfect work. And yet nobody stands up. Today, Lord, I want to count it all joy. Bring me trials. Because if you're doing that, leave the county I'm in. But you don't do that. And yet if you look at your honestly your life, you can look backwards and say, yep, I've been tested. And you know what? Some of those you can say, I flunked that one. And some of them you can say, boy, is God's grace getting bigger and bigger or what? Due to the constraints of time, I will wait for the last three in verse 10. So understand this. Because of the privilege of who you're working for and the power, the passion that is there, because today is the day of salvation. And because of the power that you can endure the hostility of the world and the obedience and obligations to a holy God. You'll stand in paradox. You'll stand in paradox. Do you not understand that we have the ministry of reconciliation? I have the ability to take a blind, naked, depraved sinner. Give them the truth of the gospel and they can be reconciled to a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect God. What a privilege. What a passion. What power. And yet the wisdom of man makes it a stinking paradox. Isn't that amazing? I can have you reconciled to your original position in existence. But they hate you. <laughs> you know, what? I mean, it's, it's like saying, well, you know, uh, you want to go to heaven or you want to go to hell? My God, I ain't going to heaven. Well, all right. <laughs> but it, that's the way it works. That is what we are here about. That should be the desire, the overwhelming desire for every man, woman, and child who is truly saved. That, that should be the first 2,700 priorities in your life. And everything else is just confusion. Close with this thought. What is your commitment? What is your obedience? Because you know what? We see your effectiveness. And it will be based on your commitment and your obedience. Okay, let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise we come. Thank you for your word, Father, and uh, knowing that it is sharper than a two-edged sword and knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. And yet, Father, it can only perfect the soul. Father, may we stand in awe of that but yet, Father, may we stand in awe of the privilege you've given us to be ministers, ambassadors of you, begging people to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to understand that those who will come against us is because of a lack of knowledge. And, Father, they have been taken captive. Father, we beg you even now to set them free to stop doing the will of Satan in the precious bride of Christ. Father, may our love grow with every breath you grace us. 
till that day our faith becomes sight to your praise and glory. Amen.